Megan, have you participated in any of the Queen's stuff? Just got to throw it out there since you're in the UK. Um, no, I'm staying. Um, staying put. Staying yeah, put. we've got the um, we've got the funeral on Monday, but I'm staying mm. at home. It's too busy in London. Too busy, yeah. Yeah. It, literally the queue to go and see the Queen at Westminster Abbey, which is like the church the Queen's mm-hmm. laid out at the moment. 2.6 miles, 24 hour, hour I've been away. watching it live and I just wondered if you went into that chaos because it, it is chaotic. No, no me and mum is hoping in October, because I've got half term in October, have, mm-hmm. um, somewhere like the middle at the end of October, me and mum's hoping to go to London and we go into Westminster and show respects then. Even though the Queen's not there, but we're going into there just to show respects and then we're going to Chinatown. So that's what we go do in October. It's too heavy. That sounds like a damn good way to celebrate. The we've got back holiday, so we're quite happy. We've got three day weekend off. So. Well, we actually, Canada named it a federal holiday as well, because we're technically under her. Oh, yeah, because you're the um, oh. Commonwealth, aren't you? <laughs> So it's a, yeah, so it's a holiday here as well, Monday. Three days, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm like, party, three days. <laughs> Even though we sad, but I'm like, yeah, three days off. Yeah. That's awesome. Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty tart and pleasantly bitter conversation. I want to thank everyone for taking a seat at the table. Today, we are working on our Visions of the Future series, and we have Megan from One Vlog at a Time in for an interview today. Tonight, I have Jen Dunn. Hey, everyone. Jamie. Hello. Kimmy. Hey. Habs. Hello. I'm Rachel, and we have Megan this evening. Hello. Megan, if you want to take a moment to introduce yourself and tell our listeners where they can find you and your page, that would be great. Yeah, sure. Um, I am Megan. I am from England, from Kent, and I am 22 years old, and I have um, Asperger's, which is a form of autism, and my blog is on Facebook called One Blog at a Time, and I also have Instagram as well, which is One Blog at a Time. That's so great. Megan has taken the opportunity to interview many of us on her page. And it's just been so fun to watch you create content, but also Megan, you share with just this incredible lens. I was saying before we started recording that I feel like you're so self-aware and it's inspiring to me to see someone who claims their strengths and their struggles and conquers the things and gets the resources and finds the people as you have. I just think it's been awesome to know you. So I I thank you for your page. And if you don't follow her, you should. Megan, if you want to get started by telling us a little bit more about your school experience, I know that you finished at Ascend School and you had kind of a mainstream experience before that. So when I was five years old, I went to a, a mainstream primary school and I was in year R there was like 30 children really in primary schools um, in the UK and I had speech and language disorder, so like difficulty. Um, that's when I got my first diagnosis when I was a toddler. So when I was in primary, I had um, speech and language interventions and yeah, I struggled um, quite a lot with making friends. So my speaking was very fast. No one could understood me, nor was um, the teachers. I was stimming quite a lot as well when I was um, around about that age, when I was at primary. And then when I was in year two, I changed from a second primary school and I was there from year two, which was six to seven years old. And I was there until year six, which is 10 to 11 year old. And Mm -hmm. I really didn't have a lot of help apart from little, little interventions with maths and English. But again, 
uh, no one really understood that what autism was because mm. by then it wasn't really a big thing as it is now because there were only like two children in my class that has autism and obviously my they thought my mum was um lying let's say so when I was year four so I was like nine eight years old we were trying to get a statement which is like a piece of paper that says what diagnosis I got from the um council because you've got to go through the council first before you get a diagnosis in the UK and they said no Megan's got um, a hearing difficulty so when I was 10 years old I had to go through an operation which is annoising grommets out so it falls with the nose and the ears. So I had that done and it didn't really do anything apart from no block ears when I'm unwell, which is great because I always have block ears. So yeah. by the time when I was in secondary school, which was mainstream, so I was in year seven, so that is 11 to 12 year old until I was th- uh, year eight, which was 12 to 13 year old. I had quite a lot of struggles with like friendships, changes. I didn't like people not followed by the rules. And, you know, the teaching was, the teachers did try and understand me, but I had one friend who had to translate what I was saying towards the adults. So if the adult can understand me for some reason, whether I spoke extremely fast, my friend had to come with me and say, oh, Megan said this and basically yeah. translating what I was saying. So in a way, it was quite embarrassing for me because obviously I want to be heard, but they couldn't really understand because, again, yeah. you know, they, they are they don't really train a lot in special needs because, um, again, it's mainstream, so like 30 children and they haven't really had the time to get to know each individual child. Yeah. Um, so when I was... 13 in year eight I then got diagnosed as uh, having autism which is Asperger's at the time but when I was in year seven year eight I had meetings like so many meetings with this person from a different council to get me that diagnosis whether it's looking through a picture book and then point out you know a red car blue car you know things like that and how to tell a story and I have to um, show them how I walk downstairs because for me, I walk one foot at a time, like mm-hmm. together. But normally, if I had to walk one foot, sometimes go downstairs. So I had struggled with that when I was in mainstream. And then finally got my diagnosis. And then I went from mainstream to a special needs school from the age of 13, which was near nine, because I was just starting in yep. nine, all the way till 19 year old, which is year 14 in sixth form. Mm-hmm. And then I left to talk with you and your mom uh one day and you know you explained so clearly that your mom I feel like she knew at age three Megan uh, she and- knew since I was two and yeah. um my mom's explained because obviously I asked her about the education side because my mom works in education and she explained that when I was two years old my mom knew I have autism like she knew it because obviously there were signs but it was this person had to come in it's like the two-year check I can't remember the person's name um but you know what early interventionist or something yeah so yeah um she was like from the NHS you know like just checking the development of the child and um my mom said oh I think Megan have autism and she's like no she's got speech language delay so we have to go through the speech language team and then Mm -hmm. they say yep we have to get her as a delay we've got to make it worse to get me the help that I needed 
And then obviously when it's um, a statement, when I was in year eight, we have to go through the speech and language team, let them write down the papers. Then we had to go to a doctor and then they have to write down, okay, well, Megan does struggle with eye contact, um, explaining um, what hurts and the pain. So we had to go through all of this to get to where I was to get this statement. And it, it is so hard because nowadays, um, now it takes about five years, even two years now to get a diagnosis from the NHS because the waistline is extremely long. Is that your only option there is through the NHS to get a diagnosis or can you pay privately for a diagnosis? You could do it privately, but it costs a lot of money, a very lot of money to do it privately. And the thing is as well, because the whole system all changed now, I think, and it's like Asperger's not really a thing anymore. So you've got high, high functioning autism and then you've got the low functioning autism. So there's like levels that make sense. Yeah, that's what we kind of have here now in some places, that's all. And the, for people listening, the NHS is their healthcare system out there, if you don't know, they have. It's the um, national healthcare system. So um, for us, we go through them, really. We don't get, we, we do have insurance to pay for the NHS, but obviously we get it from them company. It's very hard to explain about the NHS system. <laughs> Ours is <laughs> matter what the system is there's going to be like an oversaturation a bigger need and a big wait list it seems you know one of your questions Megan on your interviews with so many pages uh, over the past summer was to talk about the diagnostic process and it's it doesn't matter if you're in the UK or Texas or Minnesota or wherever in the middle there's delay and then there's access and then there's the right fit you know and one of the things that I think is so great about your story is how you've been able to advocate for yourself and find what you need in sort of the transition to adulthood. And by that, I obviously mean like adult services and you're done with school and then you're on to school and what, you know, how that has gone for your family. I just credit you and your mom for forging this path. And I, I'm excited to have the people hear about it. It wasn't actually um, that easy because I remember when I was 18, I went through a mental health crisis and we have to, we've got a mental health system in the UK, which is an adult mental health because um, when you were a child, you can get from CAMS, which is like a children and adolescent mental health system. But then now as an adult, we go to an adult mental health system and it took me like two years for me to get uh, help from the mental health people. And yeah. the one thing that really frustrated me the most was... I was in my crisis point. Obviously, I'm fine now. I'm all better and, you know, I'm happy, happy as ever. But at that point, I was 18. I went to a psychiatrist and he said that we do not support people who have autism. We don't know how to support people who is adults on the autism spectrum. We, we don't support people like them. And I said to him, my mental health isn't always about autism. Yeah, fine, I do have anxiety, which can relate to autism. But the depression side of it is because I'm moving schools. I had a lot of things going on in the background. I need help. And it took me two years for me to finally got that help with the mental health um, system. I have to literally go to A&E about um, A&Es from um, NHS. I had to go to A&E about three to four or five times because I was really hurting myself. And mm -hmm. then literally have to go worse to get that help. And that shouldn't really happen at all. Yeah. And I got discharged um, December 2021 because I had my sessions and I'm not going back there ever again because they, they wasn't really helpful. They 
don't notice me as um, emotionally stimulating personality disorder because of my emotions. But I said to him, I don't have that because my emotions is part of my autism. I will struggle with my emotions. And, yeah. You know. And then compound everything with your mental health. You know, I feel like in so many ways, and this is not fair and it's not quite right, but so many ways during all these battles, whether it's for yourself or your children, you earn these stripes, right? Like of how to advocate, how to say, how to stand up for the fact that that's not right. You can't just say, we don't help those people. You jerk. Like I'll, I'll take that doctor's number. Yes, I would. Yes, I well, would. Said that, um, we're not an autism service, but we're like, yeah, but you can still support people who've, who's got mental health. Like it could be anyone. It could be um, an adult who hasn't got autism and that needs some help. Like, are you going to turn that person away? Or are you going to turn that child away because this child has autism and you don't have the training for it? Are you going to turn that person away? And it shouldn't, shouldn't really be like that. Not, not, not just because of people who have got autism, for everybody, really. Yeah. Well, I think, it, you know, to go through so much, obviously your ability to be able to say like, no, I have the, I have this, this, please help me. I think probably creates some strength to be able to get into the program that you're in now, because we were all following your page as you were navigating. I am probably going to say this wrong, but you were at one point navigating this English test and you were cramming and you were trying and you were preparing and you were just prepping both to be calm and to have the info and to do the damn thing and then to navigate the hallway and the teachers and the place to do it and the way that you sort of brought us through that as your readers was really inspiring I feel like I can only imagine life through the lens of my daughter but hearing you discuss life in this world through your heart and the way that you share is just been awesome now after conquering so much though can you tell us a bit about the program that you're in now um, so as an adult it took um I have to say my sense school helped me my mum and the autism team which we have in the UK for adults and for children there's there's like sort of services that can help you to get certain help um things like that when you go into adulthood so when I was 18 I find moving on from school very difficult so when I hit 19, the school helped my mum to get me some more help. So that is a support worker. So um, we contacted the autism team, which we have in the UK for adults. And then I got a um, support worker. So everything was Saturday. So like today at 9 to 12 p.m., I have uh, my support worker for three hours, whether that is going to my local town, going to shopping, going on the train, going on the bus for three hours to get me at the house so I can't keep relying on my mum because as a 22 year old I really should be able to do things independently but because of my struggles and my anxiety I need that extra support to do it that way without having my mum so by the time I hit let's say 25 hopefully I can go on the train on my own without having support or I don't have to keep relying on my support worker because I can go to shops on my own so that is sort of targets that I can come up to for now um it's like now I'm doing apprenticeship so at the moment I am trying to get a uh, funding to get some more help for my English and maths because I have a EHCP I can get like the money to support me but again because as an adult I have to wait 
for them to transfer the funding to a panel so they can decide whether or not I could get the help. So now I have to wait until next week to find out whether or not I get help for the people for my HCP. So it took me like seven weeks. So again, there's a barrier now because whether or not I'm going to get that help or not. Yeah, there's so many hurdles in this that just slow the process. And it's so hard. You feel like your path deserves gates to fly open. But instead you stand at the door for so, I mean, it's just hard. I'm proud that you've been able to achieve and then ask for. And hopefully, hopefully girl, this week we get more. I put it on my blog that however yeah. not, I get the funding to help me with my math and English for my HCP. So you will see something hopefully this week. That's good news or bad news. Yeah. You know, I think it's so cool that you've entered your apprenticeship and that you're working with young children, correct? Yes, I'm working with two to four-year-olds. Can you tell us a little bit about what your day is like right now and some of the tools um, maybe? Because, girl, I've seen your planner. It's very hectic. So I have two half days because I have to learn. Um, at, so I had to work at home. So I have like assignments. So whether that is like health and safety, whether that is safeguarding, sensible, you know, things like that, really. Literally, I just have two half days, go home, do my maths um, with my tutor, and then doing my work I need to do. So that's for two days. So that's like Mondays and Tuesdays. So I'm in work. Afternoon, I'll go home and do the rest of the work at home. And Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, I just do a lot of things with the children. So whether that is doing arts and crafts, whether it's going outside, support them, yep. you know, things like that, really. It has been quite hectic a little bit because obviously we've got some new children and try and get to understand where they need help with and things like that. So um, at the moment, it's going really, really well. I stopped my apprenticeship next year in May time. That's when I finished because that's the way it goes. And then after that, I'm not sure whether I'm doing level three or whether I'm going to try and apply to work in a special needs school as a teacher assistant if I pass maths and English. Well, I mean, we can see several examples of your devotion to your job. I think it's cool that you're doing is it once a day, a sign, a, a, you're sharing a new sign? So yeah, so every single Tuesday and Friday, I've got a one day Macaton sign. So there's one in America, because like, you've got to remember, the signs that I'm doing are the uh, British signs. So ones in America can be very different. And in September, and the end of September, I'm doing level three. So this is the sort of thing that I'm doing um, for... Um, to get into level three and then I'm doing level four and hopefully maybe Macaton tutor. Um, so Macaton is uh, communication and talking. So you like simplifying the language to a child who's got sendings or who are non-verbal, could be someone who's got dyslexia or, you know, find like communication a bit difficult and you can actually just do little signs. Sometimes I use it at work if I need to with a child. I use it at home with my mum. So if I go into a crowded space, let's say up to London, which is quite busy in London is, I do some signs in London, say, look, mum, I want to go home or can you help? Um, I'm worried, you know, sort of thing. So that sort of thing that I do as well. And it's part of skill, really. It's part of a different language. I did have a question. I just wanted to go back real quick about if you're okay talking about the mental health piece because I think it's important for people who go seek help and then don't necessarily find the assistance like when you left this place where they were giving you treatment what did you find was the most helpful for you since they didn't really provide the support well the 
thing was, I went to charity first. So I went to Mind, which is a mental health charity in the UK. So I went from them. And then I went from Young Minds, which is another charity. So I had two charities and they're both CBT therapy. The Mind one, I didn't like because the person didn't really understand me. So I'm like, no, I'm not going back there ever again. Young Mind, they couldn't. They did help me. I had CBT therapy, but I had to sign a note saying that I wouldn't commit trigger warning uh, suicide. So I was like, okay, so I've done the note. December hit. Um, which is going to be three years that um, the day that I did it. Um, so unfortunately, I did it, unfortunately. And um, this is me, okay, well, Megan, because you've done it, we really cannot help you. So um, we need to get you transferred to you from the NHS and let them really help you because you really need serious help now. So they stopped TBT therapy at that time. And then they wrote a um, note saying um, to the NHS, Megan really needs some help, transfer transfer her to these people then I went to them people and then that's when um, it took me like two years the school also helped as well they did loads of referrals so did a doctor I've been turned away by the disability nurse um, who's a community nurse that comes into my house check like you know talk to me sort of thing that didn't happen whatsoever so I didn't have that help I had help with early defense early help which is like early intervention so if things happen at home then I can talk to them and they help me with how to cope with certain things so I had that done as well that was fine um, they still helped me for a couple of weeks but with the mental health services I had a lot of talks um, about how I was feeling I did like a mood journal I did and then I stopped 2021 um, when um, it was Christmas and then I was it did help in a way because I just got someone to talk to and then I actually just you know, I just did that way, really, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, so the CBT is what you're talking about, CBT? Yeah, yeah CBT. Cognitive Behavior Therapy. Um, for any of our listeners, it's used in, like, a behavior approach, changing changing behaviors, which is good um, for a lot of people, but might not be the best approach for someone yeah. who's autistic because the brain works differently in that sense. So that's fascinating. Yeah, I did have quite a few help with um, school, because I had a one-to-one um, support with a key worker. Um, she was a brilliant lady. She saved my life completely many times. And she's a speech-language therapist as well. And she's bloody brilliant, she is. And um, literally, I still keep a contact to her to this very day because she literally saved my life so many times. And without her, I wouldn't be be where I am now today. And that's why I always said to prayers, like, thank you so much, you know, to this woman. But, yeah, with her as well, um, we were like, doing like, lots of, like, talking therapy. I had art therapy at school. So I had loads of other things as well in place in school, but alongside with the NHS, um, it helped me a little bit. But again, because of my state of mind and my anxiety and my depression at the time, um, they wanted me to take medication. Medication works for everybody. Like, lot, it can work with some people. It can't work with um, doesn't work with other people. For me, because my anxiety was so so high, I wouldn't take the medication. I took it once and I had a panic attack. And then school's like, Megan, you really need to try again. So I tried it again, never panicked out. I said, I can't do it. So I didn't take any sort of medication. I kind of did it just without this sort of medication. But again, if you need medication, just speak to a doctor and they will kind of advise you. But um, some, sometimes- You are bang on, Megan. It does not yeah. work for everyone. Yeah, right. You can try so many different yeah. things, whether it's talking therapy, works for you, that's really good. If medication doesn't work for you, that's also fine. But there's other alternative around to get some help. But um, for me, medication is just an anxiety-related 
now and even my um, teacher at the time she was joking me saying to me oh Megan you won't oh Megan you you took medication see you haven't grown horns I was like that's not a good joke because obviously I don't <laughs> know about growing horns now you're checking daily with her <laughs> yeah, as a joke she wasn't doing it mean yeah. she was just like trying to make me happy and you know being jokey sort of thing <laughs> oh I think that's a great and I think we all talk about often about how much like one individual provider can make such a big difference for our family for our kids it sounds like you had an amazing person in your life which thank goodness for that and we're always so lucky to find those people that just like our kids can connect to and makes it's a big like- difference yeah, it's like when I came back to that school to do my last English exam that I took in dream time, I went to her when I finished. I said to her, this teacher, remember that you told me not to um, self-harm um, during summer? I kept that promise. It's nearly been three years since I've been clean from self-harm. And she was absolutely in tears because I kept that promise from 20, July the 25th, 2019. I kept that promise all the way through till till three years now, so... That's amazing. Good. I love it. That's all for clips, so I could but I want you to know we're damn proud of you, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> if you can hug that girl for me, like you let your mom hug you for me, I just want you to know one of those is coming. Yeah. So that that that's why you know I never break that promise because she just done so much. If I break that promise, I wouldn't forgive myself to be honest. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Well, if you have any advice for us, I know that you ask this of your interviews, and if you don't, I mean, don't worry. But do you have any advice for parents or for our listeners? I think. Personally, for me, as I'm only 22 and I'm still learning as I go because I'm still young, but personally for me, it's like, if services say that, oh, sorry, we can't help you, just keep like fighting for it and, you know, don't give up because there will be other services out there that can provide you that support or um, that help, you know, so just keep fighting for, for the services and also, well, you know your child, they can advise you to do things, but again, you know your child best as that's what I said to everybody and the thing as well like there will be barriers in the way and all you can do is is just be determined and just keep going through and there will be other sort of barriers as well but again you, you will get there it just could take a lot of time and you've got to be a little bit patient and you've got to like keep like prodding them all the time and that's what I have to do to get that funding I have it took me seven weeks to finally get to the point when they wrote in a letter saying oh we've got her funding we're going to put it over to panel it took us seven weeks and we kept ringing them up saying what is going to happen what's happening what's happening so just keep ringing them keep keep pestering them and the more we pester them the more they're gonna you know hurry the process up i have a question it's a little bit off topic but being an autistic adult there's a bunch of us on the panel here that have daughters and sons so it's the same can you just explain a little tiny bit what it feels like for you to be overwhelmed in public. I think for us to have the perspective from you is just a wealth of knowledge for how does it feel? Because my daughter can't tell me what it feels like. So for me, um, let's say in some holidays, I went to London and that is the most hectic part of England that you can ever go to. So for me, it's more like I am trapped. I can't really get out anywhere. Like people keep coming into me, keep pushing me, shoving me. And I literally have to wear my weighted vest wherever I go into crowded places because having something weighted on me, it really calms me down. And I just, you know, without this, I'll get so overwhelmed. And 
it's just like I can't get out the situation because there's so many people around me. I've got to hold in my stem. I've got to hold in my meltdown because I don't want people to stare at me. Because again, like if you are a seven, six, five year old, they think it's cute, you know, oh, she's only like young, you know, we understand. But when you're an adult, they look at you thinking, why is she acting like this? She needs to grow up or to a parent saying, oh, why are you not, um, what's someone looking for? Like controlling your child. Yeah, like, no, that's it. That's it. Controlling your adult child, you know. So for me, as being in their kind of places, I try my hardest to go there early. So it won't be a lot of people around. But when it gets busier, I have to go home because I, one, I had enough. I get um, shut down mode. Two, I just get really moany. So look, mum, really want to go home now. I'm, I had enough. And three, it's just got being at home. I can literally just be myself. Like I can be in my room and literally just let anything else out, whether it's just listen to music, sing, dance, literally just be in my room for a couple of hours and literally just calm down from the day and just literally be on my own. And then next day I'll be fine. So for being crowned in places, we've got to like time what sort of time you go to places and you've got to like make sure you have like techniques, whether like weighted uh, vest, which I got, or ear defenders or fiddle toy, which I always wear on my hand when I go out or you know, having a trusted adult with you or a trusted friend with you as well, so they understand, because that also help the situation. And also as well, like, make sure, if a child's worried about the toilets, like, for myself, I always said, mum, will there be toilets there? Make sure they've got toilets there and, you know, make sure they've got, like, a room they can go to, whether it's a quiet shop. Okay, well, you, well, I'm just going to go to a quiet shop. Let's get you calmed down a little bit. Let's look around, get you distracted. Let's get you back outside and let's go home. You know, things like that. That's that's what I do with my mom when I get overwhelmed. It's nice to hear it, you know, first person. But again, you, you, you know your child. So your child may say, actually, yeah, I'll be fine. I can just go home and things like that. But it's oh, really we like, always do the early stuff before people are there. Yeah, that's what I that's do. That's true. So today, because um, obviously today it, it was quite busy in town because the shops would be closed on Monday. So everyone was all out, you know, getting the food, getting clothes, you know, things like that. And I was like, okay, it's getting a bit busy. And now I need to go to um, Sainsbury's, which is like a local supermarket. Even that was really busy. So I've got to get everything I needed and go out. Yeah. yeah. And with my daughter, it's interesting because those things don't really bother her in the same way. But it's like very random. Like sometimes she'll get overwhelmed and other times she won't get overwhelmed at all. So it's hard to like figure out what part of it things um, do that. But crowds in general don't seem to bother her. Like, it, I don't know if she just has learned to be able to tune them out or what but it's like yeah it's just inconsistent so sometimes like you it's always like a gamble like okay we're gonna do this and maybe it will go well <laughs> maybe it won't and then we just hope it goes well which it's I like, mean most of the time it does but yeah it's like going to a restaurant or going to a theater because me and mom went to see the waitress and Lion King doing some holidays and I booked the end seats so they're quite near like not near to people, but they're quite in the end, so I can go um, to the toilets if I need to or whatever. And by sitting in the end, for me, I feel more safe because I'm next to my mum. I'm not next to a person who I don't know. And same with uh, a restaurant. I always go at the far back where it's like, I don't have like loads of other people mm-hmm. around me. So I feel like I can breathe. That makes sense. That's how I feel myself. With like uh, my daughter, Nora, she doesn't like crowded places or lots of noise or lots of people. My son can handle that stuff, but then he's overstimulated once we get home, like immediately, you know, it's like he can tolerate it while we're there, 
but then the whole rest of the afternoon is like you got to decompress for several hours after being in all that noise and energy and but my daughter's sound sensitive so she she for sure does not like to be crowded or in lots of noise or places like that at all <laughs> at all that's how my son yeah. is with, I mean like and he'll wear ear headphones earmuffs and stuff but it takes wherever we go it takes him about especially in big crowded areas it takes about 45 minutes an hour for him to warm up and then he does okay and then it's after but it's like is it worth it to him so like if we go to like an amusement park where he loves rides and stuff like that then he'll do it but if it's like a crowd for like the sake of like you know if we had to go to like to an appointment here at like the DMV is what, where you get like your car license and stuff like there's no way he's like this isn't worth it for me to like go through the overstimulation <laughs> he's like if there's gonna be candy then maybe I can go through yeah, it exactly there's often like that downfall and he has to like warm up to whatever environment he's in and like you can physically watch him kind of like relax but it's like that first hour and a half it's like someone's like squeezing him almost like it's just too much yeah even walking through unfamiliar doors is like sometimes just like too much when I'm at work I might say okay well Megan okay so it's gonna so it's now like let's say it's 10 10 o'clock for example in the morning okay Megan so you've got another five more hours then you go home so it's kind of like my brain is like okay Megan you've got five hours you've got four hours so I kind of know how many hours I've got left to go home and to be honest with you I live quite near where I work so I was like five or ten minutes walk and then five minutes ten minutes back so for me it's quite happy I'm quite glad that I live quite near it so if I have an anxiety attack I can say look can I go home or if I'm not feeling very well can I go home so it's not really that far but it's like when I go to like let's say a theatre so I have to look at what times it start and finish so my head's like okay so you've got another three minutes and you've got interfill okay go to the toilet and then after that you've got another three hours to interfill to the play finish okay I can go straight home so I kind of have to like time it in my head how many hours and minutes I got left um research activities or work or whether it's even to a a McDonald's or even at a restaurant can say to myself oh I've got 50 minutes I've just got to eat I can go to the toilet if I need to toilet's right over there I don't need to worry about it and then go home so that's how I do in my brain I have I have to like say to myself okay I've got a couple more hours left sort of thing it's such a good tool and I think that carries across so many different places to apply it it's time it's tasks it's accomplishing little parts of a big thing you know I heard an autistic adult recently explain sound when she was in a crowded restaurant and she was talking about the perception of sound and how it actually feels like pain sometimes the way that her body perceives it like the way that we take in sound can feel like pain to someone who is autistic because it's that intense and that strong and it really helped me understand that, like my daughter's perception of sound a lot more because it's probably actually physically painful to her to have such a like large amount of sound coming in at one time. Very fascinating stuff. Uh, in the theater and the musical, if it's music, I'm fine because I love music and music helps me to calm me down anyway. But when it's like talking, like when people are talking like loudly, I get anxiety rush. So it's like, when I'm in the theatre, I'm completely fine because I know there's music, I can concentrate on the music, on the lyrics, and just literally just strum away with my, my thumbs quite happily. But then when I'm like going out to a supermarket with a lot of noise, I get anxiety. I said, Mum, no, I really want to go home now. And I keep saying, like, how are you? How are you? And that's a sign saying, okay, Megan needs to go home now, sort of thing. Well, it's a predictability too. Like at a musical, it's like, it's, you know, what's kind of going on. And then, and, so, and I think that is, 
true for Alyssa too. Like when she's in a crowd and it's predictable, like an amusement park, like people are pretty much, even though it's busy and loud, like they're walking around, everyone's kind of doing the same thing. But like, if we were somewhere really crowded where it wasn't predictable, she wouldn't like that. And people were bumping into you and and there was no clear, like, you know, say you were just at like a, like a music festival or something like where people were just like all over the place and like not always doing the same thing. She would not like that because she wouldn't understand like the point of what was happening kind of like Jesse in a way but like different because what it's more motivating when there's something that's fun for them so obviously if there's not an incentive for them then they don't want to work as hard to not get overwhelmed I guess but I noticed that with her too it's like when it when it's unpredictable that's when she gets more overwhelmed every like all the people in our lives who are autistic react differently to things and how things affect them differently and just this whole conversation has really like hound in on like what this series we're talking a lot about autistic adults and the services and the lack thereof and just how like how individualistic and like and important it's to remember that everyone's an individual mm-hmm. and yeah. there's like different things for you and I think that's an overall a problem with um autism but especially with adults is like people like want one answer your needs are going to be different than Kim's adult daughter's needs my son's needs are going to be different and it's like, we really need people to look at the individual and treat the individual. And like, yes. how you're talking about like, they want to even treat your mental health because you're autistic. Like that's insane to me because you're still a human being with mental health needs. So I just think it's such a good conversation to have. Um, I'm part on a um, autism panel, which is a um, charity called Ambition for Autism, which we have in the UK. And I'm part of the panel. I've done a few sort of topics, whether that is um, changing the EHCP, whether he was talking to the uh, minister um, on YouTube, I did a YouTube thing I did for them for talking to the minister about the education system that he needs to change for those who um, have learning difficulties, whether that's autism, dyslexia, speech language, you know, things like that. And I just done one about um, EHCP and about changing the format because it really needs to change because, again, not everyone is really following the EHCP, which we have in the UK, which is called Education Health Care Plan. So not everyone is really following the child's or adult needs. For me, I haven't had an EHCP review since 2019. And that's, yeah, fine, we got COVID. But again, I need a review because I still got it until I'm 25. So again, I've got to wait for my turn to get a review, wherever that's going to be, to change some of the things for my EHCP that I had in 2019 because things can change like I may not need certain things I need when I was 19 because I was at school so so that sort of things I'm be doing at the moment in behind the scenes of my page yeah and to Jamie's point it's like when we ask you questions you're not saying like oh all autistic people feel like this in a crowd you're saying this is my perspective this is how I feel this is how it affects me. And I think that's like really important because it's very helpful to us parents to have insight, you know, it doesn't mean that every child is going to act that way or feel that way, but it does give us that insight, but without, you know, making the generalization that like, okay, this is how I feel. So this is how all these other people must feel too. You know, and I, I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, this is how it is for my child as much as I can tell. Cause obviously she's nonverbal and can't tell me everything, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be that way for somebody else's child. And I think a, a lot, like Jamie was just saying with autism is hard because there's so many generalizations made and it doesn't even matter like on what end you're talking about. It happens yeah. all, all through it. So we really do appreciate that insight because it, it is very helpful. I always want to thank 
advocates like you who are autistic individuals because you are who we turn to. You are like the peek into what's going on in our children's minds. And like me and Kim, you're just saying like, obviously our kids aren't going to be exactly like you and you're not going to be exactly like the person sitting next to you, but it does kind of give us an idea and hearing your story definitely helps me dictate the way I raise my kid because I, I can't, I don't know what's going on in his head and I don't know what's going to help him, but I, at least I can get an idea by listening to as many autistic adults as I can. Absolutely. It's so um, helpful. Because when I did interviews with uh, parents, because I know a lot of people who are adult autism like to talk, like to hear from um, autistic adults because they don't really want to hear parents. But on the other hand, for me, I like to hear from parents because, again, you know, you guys have to go through fighting for services. You have to go through two-year checks um, when they two-year two-year-old or three-year-old. You have to go through so many um, interventions, whether that is speech and language, ABA, OT, you know, all these sort of interventions. So for me, I like to hear more about the parents' experience because without the parents, we wouldn't be where we are today. Like I wouldn't be able to speak slow without my mum have to get help from a speech language team or I wouldn't be able to go to uh, the local uh, supermarket without my support worker because my mum got me that help to get me to that place so without parents we wouldn't be where we are now so for me I want to say thank you to you guys for sharing your experiences you know trying to get the services and school education whether it's health whether it's going out to places so without you guys we yeah I, I bound down to every single one of you basically you are the sweetest Megan oh we God. love you right. we love you <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, Megan, we want to thank you so much and we want to thank our listeners for listening. We encourage you to head over to one blog at a time and do all the things that she read back, read forward, follow quick. We thank you. Well, we all thank each other in a big, huge hug. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much for letting me be on the interview. Thank you, thank Megan. You very much. Yeah. Thank you. Enjoy your three nice days. Nice chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, make sure to check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again. See you next time.